0: Welcome to the Center for Medical Simulations, Critical Conversations with Mary Fay. I'm Jenny Rudolph. We're going to be exploring the 3C approach to critical conversations in a variety of contexts, and each of the C's are context, content, and course. But before we dig into that, Mary, I wanted to ask you about what do you mean
1: by critical conversations? Mm, Good question, Jenny. Critical conversations are conversation in which we take sort of a critical appraisal of the values and assumptions and beliefs that drive people's actions.
0: If people have become familiar with the difficult conversations rubric or the crucial conversations rubric or various approaches to debriefing, debriefing with good judgment, debriefing for meaningful learning, gather, analyze, summarize, pearls, what have you. I think these all share a commitment to critically analyzing what is going on in people's thinking and differentiating that from seeing learners primarily or exclusively as doers of correct or incorrect actions. It sounds to me like critical conversations is part of the family of approaches that's interested in learners as Meaning makers and thinkers.
1: The observable actions are where we start with these conversations, but that's not where the conversations end. So it's not just rendering a judgment about whether or not the action we saw our learners take was right or wrong, but it's quickly moving past that and getting to trying to understand how they were seeing the data that was coming at them, how they were gathering information that led them to make the decision that they made. And I agree with you, it's common to all those forms of, or all those methods of debriefing that you described, that they all really are targeted at understanding the drivers of the observable actions. So what
0: I'd like to do now, Mary, is point the conversation toward how do we apply the critical conversations approach in simulation. We're gonna contrast that later with how do we apply it in clinical contexts and how do we apply it in the classroom context. Mm -hmm. But for right now, let's just stick with simulation. Okay. The first part of the debriefing conversation as I understand it in this approach is to deal with context. Mm -hmm. And I can see that somehow as a bridging mechanism between the simulation and the further Mm -hmm. conversation. But what did you and Soufanaris have in mind there in thinking about context?
1: So when we thought about sort of setting the context for the conversation, what we wanted to ensure is that we had a, a holistic approach to the conversation, meaning that we were thinking about the information and the data that was relevant in the situation, but we're also thinking about the learner and the relationship with the learner. So when we set the context, there are two primary activities that the educator would engage in, and the first is Connecting with the learner in a way that attends to them as a person and especially attending to whatever emotional reactions they might have had to the experience that they just went through. So in simulation, that would translate to in the beginning of debriefing, checking in to see how the learners were feeling. And then the other part of context is making sure that we're clear on the whole story of the patient that we're dealing with. So making sure that all the relevant bits of information about the patient are in play because often learners, and especially less experienced learners, miss some of the nuanced details that actually are important in a situation.
0: Consistent with 40 years of writing about debriefing, the critical conversations approach has a sort of entry phase that helps the learner connect with themselves and with the context of the patient they were trying to take care of. Okay, let's move on to content, Mm -hmm. the second C. You've allowed the learners to have a bit of a reaction Mm -hmm. emotionally. You've oriented them to the facts of the case and the patient's story. And now you want to help them analyze what happened. And I think that's what you're talking about with the content Mm -hmm. section. Mm
1: -hmm. So tell me about the approach there. So in the content section, and this is where the majority of the time would be spent, we're really interested in understanding the driving reasons behind the actions that we saw the learners take. So this is where we would inquire into their thinking. And in the three C's approach, we recommend pairing advocacy with inquiry as we do in debriefing with good judgment. And a couple of things are really key here not just understanding the learner's thinking, but being transparent about your thinking also. So as we see these conversations happening in the content section, We're interested in the learner's perspective. We also want to be really clear about our perspective.
0: Let me explore that a little bit. Sure. Because I could imagine a frustrated educator working with a learner and uh, jumping into the content section and saying, what were you thinking? (laughs) And it sounds to me like that's the direction you're wanting them to go to some degree, but I also hear very strongly that there's some way you want the instructor to reveal their thinking, and I'm a little concerned about the power dynamic there Mm -hmm. and the management of the educators own frustration. I see the benign value of exploring the learner's thinking but I worry a little bit about the emotions that might be at play in that mix and Mm -hmm. how do you guys see that? Mm
1: -hmm. That's such a great question. There's a big paradigm shift here if you want to move the teacher-learner relationship to one around conversations and meaning making. So I'm thinking two things here. First is really understanding the learners as meaning makers. And when I say that, I'm gonna go back to the example I used earlier about how a part of meaning making is sorting through data, deciding what's relevant, deciding what you're gonna pay attention to. When learners are in novel situations, they are doing that. And I think that's a real high leverage point for instructors. If we can understand how they see a situation, what's the data they're seeing? How are they sorting it? How are they deciding what's relevant? We can really help them to create meaningful learning experiences, when we can help them see the situation the way we see the situation. That can only happen, though, if you've got a relationship with your learner that's based on mutual respect and trust. So that's the other paradigm shift that I think is super important in our relationship with the learners, is we've got to find a way to hold them to the high standards that we all believe in, and yet also hold them in high regard. And I think, oftentimes, I know in my career, I thought that was a choice. Either I have to be the dragon nursing instructor who makes sure my patients are safe and I don't care how that falls out on my learners, or I'm super nice to my learners, but I skirt around the issue of the important clinical implications of whatever the action is that they took. So I've got to find a way to do both. And what's been really helpful to me in my career is the idea that I learned at CMS from the basic assumption, which is, was sort of the philosophical brainchild of Robert Simon, and the basic assumption says that I believe that my learner is well-intended, trying hard to do their best and wants to get better. And I need to really believe that about my learner. So when I see them do the crazy things that they sometimes do in simulation or clinical, and I find myself going, oh my God, what are they thinking? If I can get back in touch with that idea that these are well-intended people who are working hard and trying to do their best, it allows me to reset myself from an oh my God, what were they thinking to a stance that's one more of curiosity, where I can say, wow, that's really weird that they chose to do whatever they chose to do. I'm really curious to find out what they were thinking at the time and how they were seeing the situation. So. Two big paradigm shifts, but I think really essential to build the kind of trusting relationships we need if we're going to have these high-stakes conversations.
0: So let's explore that a little, Mary, with an example, because I hear the words you're saying, but I can imagine for some people hearing this, it's rather abstract. Mm -hmm. So... You and I discussed before we started this conversation a simulation that you run around pain management of Mm -hmm. a patient in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking it might be really helpful if you could give us a quick description of what you might have seen in the simulation and then explain what you're saying now in the context of the learner as
1: a meaning maker, not only as a doer. Great. One example that comes to mind is a post-op simulation that I've done. In one particular case, the learners were palpating the patient's abdomen as part of their assessment, which caused a lot of pain in the patient. And because of that, the nurses got some pain medication to give. The complicating factor was his blood pressure was pretty borderline, like 90 over 60. So in my experienced nurse mind, I would have hesitated before giving IV narcotics to somebody, a post-op patient with a borderline blood pressure. The students did not. They gave the IV narcotics without really thinking about the blood pressure as I observed it, and the patient's blood pressure dropped even lower.
0: Please, if you could, just illustrate for us how the idea of going after the learner's thinking would be relevant in that case. Sure.
1: How would you do it? Sure. Why does it matter? I think it might be helpful to contrast the more kind of action-oriented, I don't care about their thinking approach which would be to watch them give the morphine and have this strong emotional reaction of my own, of thinking, oh my God, I can't believe they gave morphine to that patient. Don't they know about the blood pressure? That's the sort of action oriented. And then the approach to the students would be, don't give morphine to somebody that has low blood pressure. Not the most helpful thing in the world. If I'm taking the three C's approach, my approach would be one more of trying to understand how they were seeing the situation. And so rather than me starting with telling them what they should do, I would begin with trying to understand their thinking by saying, and and I'll I'll model an advocate inquiry question in that situation, where I might say to the learners, I noticed that you did your abdominal assessment on Mr. Smith, he had a lot of pain, you made the decision to give morphine in the setting of a blood pressure of 90 over 60, I'm really concerned that giving that amount of morphine is going to drop his blood pressure even more, please help me understand what you were thinking. So I don't start with telling them what to do, I start with trying to understand their perspective.
0: And what kinds of things do you hear when you ask that question?
1: Yeah, you know, it it can be really surprising sometimes. In one, what I heard a learner say was, I was the one who caused him all that pain by palpating his abdomen, and I felt that I was really responsible for it, and I just felt so terrible. And so there was this emotional driver of she feeling like she had inflicted pain on her patient, which is a, a terrible position for a healthcare professional to be in. And so it was really that that sort of emotional reaction of having caused pain in her patient that drove her to give the morphine without even looking at the blood pressure. She said, I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about his vital signs. I just wanted to help him.
0: Applying what I heard you say earlier, which is certainly simpatico with many things I also think, you've heard from the learner that they felt badly that they caused pain. They wanted to repair that. Mm-hmm. And so now having elicited that thinking, mm-hmm. I got from you that, you now would want to address that thinking somehow to help mm-hmm. them take the next step.
1: Right. So can you walk us through that? Sure. So in that particular circumstance, there were, there were two aspects of that that I wanted to dive into in debriefing. And the first one was thinking about how you approach assessments on patients. This was a patient who had had abdominal surgery, and so palpating the abdomen was something that probably never should have happened in the first place. So one of the conversations we had was, how do you individualize your physical assessment based on the needs of the patient? There are things you can skip, you don't have to do the same thing every single time. So we talked about individualizing approaches to patient assessment. The other piece that we talked about was just acknowledging the fact that sometimes emotional reactions can cause us to speed through some of the protocols that we would be normal for nursing, and one of those protocols would be to check vital signs before giving a drug that could affect vital signs. And so we really talked about being aware of how emotional activation can interfere with systematic thinking ability and to put mechanisms in place to, A, recognize the emotional response and recognize when you might need to maybe activate a peer to help you. To say, you know, I'm, I'm having to make this decision. Can you just help me think through this? And so we approached it from those two angles.
0: So just sticking with the pushing of the morphine in a patient who was hypotensive, it sounds like you did two things. One was acknowledge and address the thought process, which thought and emotional process, mm-hmm. which is act. I caused this. I must fix it now. Right, right. And B, then talking about the actions once you've recognized that, mm-hmm. that you could take to To make sure you stayed on the right track Mm -hmm. so we've talked a little bit about context in critical conversations giving them some space for emotional reaction Mm -hmm. orientation to the patient's Mm -hmm. story or the facts of the patient talked about analyzing a little bit of their thinking Mm -hmm. i now want to move on to the third part of the critical Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. that i read in your book the course when i read about it in the book it certainly projected my thinking into the future Mm -hmm. beyond the simulation Mm -hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah that's exactly what we were thinking there's a tight connection between content and course in the three c's approach in that while we're examining their thought processes in content we're also helping them think about strategies for the future and you just acknowledged that when you talked about we attend to their emotions we think about their cognition then we also help them think about actions And so course is kind of action oriented in that we're helping them think, based on what I learned today, how will I improve my practice in the future? One of the things that we also do during course to help them think about the clinical decision they made here is we have them compare and contrast it with a similar clinical situation. So I might take pain management in the patient they had today and contrast that with pain management using narcotics, but in a different setting.
0: So Mary, we've talked about context content and course in the Mm simulation-based education experience. Mm -hmm. Could you take a minute now and just tell us what are we doing as educators in the simulation-based experience that we might not do or that we might do differently than we would do in a real clinical situation where we're using the 3C approach Mm -hmm. or the classroom situation where we're using the Critical Conversation 3C approach. So what's unique about the simulation context? Mm
1: -hmm. Sure. I I think there are a couple of differences. Not part of the 3Cs, but the second chapter in the book is thinking about psychological safety. And so I think in the simulated context, really giving a lot of thought to creating a safe learning environment is extremely important because learners are sort of uniquely vulnerable in simulation. They're entering into an artificial world that we've created and they trust us to have their back. And so I think attending the psychological safety and simulation is really, really important. The other thing that I think is unique to the simulated environment is in the simulated environment, we can let them make mistakes and see the consequences of their mistakes. And there's much value in that from a learning perspective, but there's also risks to that also because the emotional fallout from letting them make mistakes and seeing the consequences of their mistakes can have a a big emotional impact on the learners.
0: This is not related to this conversation, but I think as the hub of debriefing with good judgment and the fact that there are all these words out there, crucial conversations, critical conversations, debriefing pearls and debriefing with good judgment and what all, what's a girl to do sort of thing. I am feeling like maybe before we shut this down, we should have a little short conversation. My take on this is for the stages it's not super important which one you use as long as you have a mental model that helps learners do the things that are specified. In e- you know, mm-hmm. All of them have some commitment to letting, letting people blow off steam and get the facts straight. Mm-hmm. Most of them have some commitment to analyzing what happened. That happens in different ways. And most of them have some com- commitment to bridging to future practice. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried that people are like, why is Jenny Rudolph talking about three Cs? Why is Mary Faye talking about three Cs? Why aren't we talking about debriefing with good, good judgment? judgment?
1: You know, it's sort of been our position when Sue and I talk about this to be really clear that this is not a debriefing method, but that this can be used in conjunction with different debriefing methods. So you could use this and also use DML. Mm -hmm. This very much to me is so similar to Debriefing with Good Judgment, you know, I just see the influence all over it. So you could could easily overlay this on Debriefing with Good Judgment and you're going to kind of be doing the same things in that there's attending to emotions, getting the facts, doing some analysis, you know. I I can see this too overlaid with even pearls. Mm -hmm. So what we tell people is this is a way to help you organize a debriefing discussion using any of the methods.